to Puck It, we'll do it live. This is Dan Hayes. I'm here at spring training. Uh, Zach Pierce, my co-host, is not with me this week. He is uh, recovering from the safest play in the book, moving in the middle of winter into a brand new house. And so Zach is uh, not with us today, but I am joined by Aaron Gleeman, my co-writer here at uh, The Athletic. And uh, we are coming to you live from Fort Myers, and uh, we've both been down here. Aaron's maybe a day ahead of me, but we've both been down here for a little bit over a week at, at Twin Spring Training, and um, it's been a very – it's it's interesting, but it's also kind of there's, – there's a little bit of a boring part of camp because this team uh, is going into the season with so many players. There's so few spots and so little competition for the 26-man roster, which is – a great thing for the twins but sometimes it can make for kind of a boring camp because it's not like you, you have hungry guys but they're hungry for a different reason and that's expectations and we're going to get into that here shortly but Aaron you got down here a day before me and um, it has been interesting just because there's so many new faces and from that perspective I think it's been good um, and Josh Donaldson came in right away and I know we co-bylined a story on that uh, but um, about his impact working with the young guys, but what what has your been been your impression so far of uh, Josh Donaldson here in camp? It is he definitely has like a gravitas about him, yeah. where like he walks through a room and not only are the reporters looking at him, but I feel like everyone wants to hear like, oh, what's he got to say? And like you said, we we stumbled across him his first day basically, which was Saturday maybe something like that. They all uh, run together. Yes. At this Here's point. what I've learned in a week on this job. Uh, by like the third day, I had no. You could have told me it was Sunday, Thursday. I have no idea. But we stumbled across him in the in the batting cage, and working with the force plate uh, tech that they have going on, uh, which Dan's going to be writing about uh, this upcoming week. But uh, it's funny. Like as soon as he stopped taking a swing, he'd go look at the thing to get the data from the swing, and like six minor leaguers would be around him like immediately. And so we even talked to like Royce Lewis was one of them, Ryan Jeffers, Travis Blankenhorn, and it's amazing because. All these guys grew up watching him dominate in Toronto mostly yeah. and Oakland too. And it's like we want to know what he knows. And the thing we've seen is he promised this at the press conference. He said, you know, on the field, obviously I'm going to try to play good MVP, all that stuff. That's why you signed me. But his thing he kept saying over and over is I want to impact the whole organization. I want it so that even after I'm gone, someone like Royce Lewis from talking to me in the cage maybe picks up one tip that they can use. And so that – it. It was amazing to watch, like, literally day one, before lunch on day one, he's got a crowd of people around him, and he's living up to, you know, he's walking the walk after talking the talk. Yeah, he uh, and a, a couple guys made the point that, you know, he's done in plenty of instruction videos on hitting over the years, and, and how it was like hearing him talk, it, it's the same as they'd experienced in those videos, but in person, and, and uh, you're right, when you get a crowd that includes Royce Lewis, Ryan Jeffers was over there, uh, Blank, Travis Blankenhorn was there, there but... Those guys, uh, Ian Cadish, the strength and conditioning coach, said it took them 30 seconds to just a crowd formed. And, and I think there is that a bit. And, and it, it's not just with the minor leaguers because you can see it. You know, today uh, we're here Wednesday, I think. Uh, again, don't hold us to the, yeah. the day or time element of things. They all end in Y here. They all start early, which that's another thing I have an issue with on spring training. This is in my first pre-rant of the year. <laughs> Uh, why is it that we have games and we go to work at three o'clock in the afternoon all season? And we work till like eleven o'clock or midnight. But for some reason, baseball decides that we should do every day for six weeks in spring training, starting at like eight a.m. I know that most of you probably 
get up at 8 a.m. and go to work. Yeah. That's not me, man. That's just the, this is like the you develop a lifestyle where you're like, this is my 14th year and I'm I'm like get up at the crack of noon. That's what uh that's that's my my wake up time most days. So, anyways, that rant is over. But no, Donaldson walking around the clubhouse today and Miguel Sano and him come up and embrace each other and and we actually got to see the hype video uh, that that uh Miguel Sano sent to uh Donaldson during the recruiting process. Dustin Morse had it on his phone and showed it to us and you can tell there's guys who are happy to have him here. I mean, he is a big personality, and this is a veteran clubhouse. But he definitely wants to take ownership of of this situation as far as he wants to leave his impact on the organization long after he's gone. He knows some of these minor leaguers he's talking to might not be here uh, for three or four years, and that might be towards the end of his tenure here. But if they can learn something from him now and it benefits the Twins in the long run, he's all for that. So I, it definitely is a, a good part of the – signing uh we saw it a ton with nelson cruz last year and the impact he's had on guys um i mean miguel sano has never looked more serious about baseball to me uh in three years than he is right now and he looks in tip-top physical shape i mean it's it's incredible what miguel sano looks like and um i think that's actually going to be a a really big storyline as we go along in camp is him at first base and learning first base and we'll get into it more as the more knows and Mowers get down here. He's working with Tony Diaz on that. But um, I, I think the other thing that really stood out, and I didn't write about it, and I think you and I are going to write about it later in camp, is um, the expectation level and, and how much of a conversation point that has been. And, you know, the other day Rocco Baldelli told us that in his opening speech, he said, we want to win the World Series. And that's a pretty bold statement. And I know we, again, we didn't write about it just because, you know, we were working on – bigger stories than that but uh, for for the manager to come out and say that uh, it's a pretty bold statement and and you could tell guys were pumped up Nelson Cruz was fired up but um, to do that says a lot about where this team really wants to go doesn't it yeah and I mean I think as someone who wrote about this team during the previous run even when they were winning you know six they won six division titles in nine years it was never that vibe I mean I wasn't around the team but I just mean like you wouldn't hear Gardy for instance Say, oh, this last year we won 92 games in the division. We're not happy with that. We're pu- pushing forward. Obviously, they always wanted to win the World Series, but you combine picking up Donaldson, picking up Maeda, highest payroll they've had ever by 10 million or 12 million or something yeah. like that. And the quotes, like uh, we kept asking Baldelli or a national reporter, Peter Gammons was here, Tim Kirchin was here, uh, Ken Rosenthal was here. They come in and ask about expectations, and I'm half expecting Baldelli to go, no, nah, no, nah, don't, you know, whatever. And he, you know, he didn't go out and Joe Namath a World Series guarantee, but he basically said, yeah, that's the goal. When you win 100 games the year before and you add Josh Donaldson and Ken Maeda, in addition to some other really good veteran guys. Rich Hill. Rich Hill, too. Yeah. Uh, that is the goal. And yeah. that doesn't mean, you know, they're favorites for the World Series, but it's it's sort of refreshing to be like, we're not afraid of expectations. And I think it actually ties back to the front office. Derek Falvey's quotes at the beginning of the offseason, which were completely uncharacteristic compared to the previous front office, where he said, yeah, we're going to try to make impact moves, whether yeah. it's pitching, whether it's Donaldson, which is what they ended up with. They're not afraid to actually set expectations. Yeah. They don't want fans to be like, at the end of the year, that was a pretty good year. We didn't expect much, and they won 89 games. No, they we expect a lot. I mean, the, the window is wide open, yeah. and it's interesting to to see Baldelli 
uh, yeah, I'll be curious to see, like, as we get further from that that one meeting that he had, if people kind of let out little dribs and drabs of info, like how how hyped up was it? Was it calm and saying, look, we got business to do? Or was it kind of like, look, we got a team here. You look around this clubhouse and it's just veteran, 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 26-year-old guy who had a breakout year. Yeah. And then Donaldson walks through in the corner. It's like, yes, this is a potential World Series team. I, I actually had heard that there was like a beat poet vibe and somebody was banging <laughs> on some trash cans while they were doing it. Uh, yeah, there's my first bad joke yeah. of the spring. Um, no, but I think it's a departure. It shows just how far they came along last year because when we were talking about their win window with uh, Dad Levine and Derek Falvey at the GM meetings in 2018, um, they were talking about how the window was kind of a crack open right. because they were coming off a disappointing season. Obviously, they had just hired Rocco as their manager. Um, Byron Buxton, you didn't know what you had because he had been hurt for part of the year and didn't get back to the majors. Miguel Sano was coming off a disastrous year. And when you I talked to guys about that, other GMs about that, and what that can do to a team's kind of internal projections and how hard it is, um, there was a lot of concern. And, and so I think when all those guys took a step forward last year together. Polanco came along. Kepler came along. Mitch Garver had a monster year. Buxton was good for the first half when he was when he was healthy. Sano was a beast. And and you look at that, that gives you an idea just what that internal growth meant to this. And and so you can understand where they're coming along with that. Um, it's still, you're right, it is it, it's a little shocking just in the embracing it um teams sometimes shy away from that stuff and and i think that's not you know i mean one team's gonna walk away happy at the end of the year you're you know if, if you get that one thing you're the happy team but everybody else is gonna be disappointed so why not embrace it I mean, only one team is really gonna be truly happy with how the year went i mean there's gonna be teams that pop up and have a good year and develop and come along and that's a great story but why not embrace it? And I think that does set a good goal. A lot of the teams that always do it, I mean, Joe Madden was really famous for doing that with the Cubs and setting a high bar early on. And, you know, I think that them having that goal is smart to just, you have a veteran group. It's not like this is a young group of kids that's going to falter. They have a good mix of guys to keep the younger guys steady. And I think that when you have that, you can throw those expectations out and not worry about the kind of ramifications it has on the rest of the team. Um, but, you know, when, when we're talking about that, um, here we have been in the middle of this week where um, you haven't made a comment yet about the Astros, and I haven't yet, uh, but everybody else in baseball has made a comment about the Astros. I mean, Cody Bellinger. Um, Trout, even. Trout, yeah. Mike Trout, that, that really stood out because, you know, he kind of prefers to keep a low profile as good as he is. But across the board, everybody's had something to say about the Astros and their cheating scandal. And um, we haven't really seen that here in camp. And there's, I, I'm wondering if there's a couple things at play. And, and Rich Hill, um, who was on the Dodgers, and Marwin Gonzalez, who's on the Astros, Kenta Maeda was on the Dodgers. Um, you know, Tyler Clifford was briefly a 2017 Astro. He, was, he finished the regular season with them, but didn't play in the postseason. But there are a lot of guys in this camp, and I wonder if that plays a role in this. Um, obviously, the expectation level, you have a lot of professional guys. Rich Hill was pretty upfront about that part, that he did not want uh, the past to disrupt this team. Um, but what what is your take? What do you think 
why have they kind of been, you know, largely absent from this jumping in the fray on this? I mean, I think Marwin was was smart to day one. Like the first thing I saw upon coming here on uh, last Tuesday, whatever it was supposed to be nine, it was like ten fifteen or whatever. Yeah. He stands in front of a group of reporters, including ESPN cameras, and then later in the day it was on MLB Network, ESPN all day, and he he showed remorse like he was the first guy and there hasn't exactly been many since yeah and i don't think it was like some amazing show of emotion but it was at least like a human interaction with someone who was remorseful and said a few things that were somewhat close to i'm sorry and and at the time i was like okay that was reasonable and then every day since then as people have been firing shots at the astros and now the astros are like fighting back like correa and I get that as sort of a reaction if people are, like, really, you know, firing shots at you. But Marwin looks better every day now. Like, his actual what he said, you know, was a C-plus or a B-minus. Yeah. But compare, if you're grading on a curve with the rest of the Astros team, uh, he's an A-plus because the, he's really the only one on his own, and, and he wanted to do it. And then the thing you mentioned, but it's the fact that the two pitchers are A, Rich Hill, who is a super thoughtful, yeah. at least when he's not on the mound, very calm. Uh, I've, we've all enjoyed talking to him. He just gives good answers. He's he's very, like, measured. No, maybe behind the scenes. Just delightful. Yes. I would call him lovely, even. <laughs> him, that's my first one. I called Michael Pineda lovely, and Betsy Helfand was like, really? Lovely? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I found him. But, yes, delightful. And then also the fact that Maeda is only been here for five days. Right. And everything goes through a translator. And so it's tough to get him just like just random chatter, uh, and he may not be that type of guy anyway to to do that. But uh, I think sort of the fact that it's the most veteran of veteran guys from that 2017 matchup, yeah, is they're not trying to start any fires here, basically. Yeah, and and one thing, and I wasn't there; I only saw the transcript of Marwin, but uh, was Mike Bolsinger uh, brought up like yes. the, the lawsuit, yeah. and Marwin had hit a home run off him, and and he was talking about feeling. A little remorseful for guys like that yeah. that had been affected and I think at least he addressed it and it wasn't just a we're gonna stand here for 30 seconds and give a statement and then not answer questions he it was limited questions it was only about four minutes and four and a half minutes but he took some questions he didn't dispute anything he has not come back and I think that uh, it's funny because I thought Carlos Correa was one of the better guys and then he took the approach where he fought back the next day which I, you know, I don't think guys around the league want to see any of these guys fighting back. I think they want them to take their lumps. And the, I think maybe Judge or Stanton yesterday said uh, there was a lack of remorse that he felt in general. I didn't, you know, just based off of what I saw from the Marwin stuff, it seemed like he was genuine about that stuff. I know that there was a lot of debate whether he was even going to do it or not, and and he did it. And and so for him to do that and. I'd probably set a good tone here. And and like you said, Rich Hill is so measured because we talked to Rich Hill at Twins Fest about this. He has never said that he was disappointed for the players. He has said he wants to hold the World Series trophy. It's almost like he's trying to mention that over and over that he wants a World Series trophy just to let those Astros players subconsciously know that they screwed him. Uh, but he was more concerned about the guys that were behind the scenes, the clubhouse attendants, Right. Uh, everybody that gets the bonus and it, it's life-changing money for those guys and, and those employees um, versus players. Players make plenty of money. 
but a $350,000 World Series share bonus. I have a friend that, that works for the Royals who bought a house off of their two back-to-back World Series. He doesn't have to pay for a house the rest of his life, and he probably makes you know 40 grand a year. So like that's a huge deal for him. And I, Rich Hill made the point of those people being the ones who got hurt more. And he's done a really good job of staying a little detached from it. And you know, everybody's talked about the fact that they want to go move forward, that this team is the priority at this point. And we, you know, Aaron, you asked Rich Hill about if Marwin was going to talk to him or if he was open to it. And this is the telling part to me is I found out later after we did that interview that Rich Hill and Marwin had already briefly discussed it. And Rich Hill's answer was sort of like, oh, well, if he wants to, we will talk about this. But he knew full well that they had and decided rather than make that public, how did it go? Like, instead of inviting follow-ups, he just kind of put it off to the side. And I think that says a lot about where they are. Yeah, I mean, that's the level he wanted to downplay it. Or he just thought, who's this kid, like this rookie? I'll just take him for a little bit of a ride. Either way. You're an intimidating presence, Aaron. So I really am. That's what people, even Pineda said to me, like, oh, normally I intimidate people, but you, no. Uh, The Rich Hill thing was interesting. You mentioned, like, so not only did he lose to the 2017 Astros, which is now very much in question, but then the next year they lose to the 2018 Red Sox, led by Alex Cora, who's since been fired, and supposedly there's punishment coming this week uh, from MLB on that. And so if anybody has a right, it's any pitcher on both those Dodgers staffs. And there's two of them here, like we talked about. But Hill's thing was, like you said, I got so close to this damn thing two years in a row. Yeah. I just want to hoist this trophy, and this might be his last year. I mean, he's he'll be lucky if this is his last year. Like, right. he's no sure thing to be ready in June. He's coming back from surgery. He's feeling good now. Yeah. But, I mean, he's 39, about to be 40. And his thing was like, look, I'm in this clubhouse now. This is the team I picked. He, he made it clear that he chose a team based on just getting back to the World Series. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about any of that stuff. And he, he identified the Twins, which is smart. And he thought, well, Marwin's in this clubhouse. I'm going to need Marwin to come up with some big hit if we get to the playoffs, or I'm going to need Marwin playing defense behind me all season or whatever. And, you know, I'm not saying they're going to be the best of friends or whatever. I'm not saying maybe they won't have some weird interaction at some point or someone will ask one of them about it. But Rich Hill, like, he said, like, he's he's single-mindedly obsessed with getting back to the World Series because I think, yeah, if he's being honest, like, he felt like he was was ripped off. He didn't get get a full shot, whether they would have won or lost, like – he didn't get a full crack at it two years in a row, and now he's 39. He's thinking, if that's it, I'm going to think about that for the rest of my life. Yeah, and and to go uh, into what Maeda said, on the second day that he talked, he was a little bit more loose and relaxed. He had just uh, thrown his first bullpen, and and um, we got to him afterwards, and, and he was a little bit more candid about it. And, you know, he gave up a game-tying three-run homer to Altuve, the other two runners, he'd come in in relief. The other two runners were not his responsibility. But um, he was asked about that because Altuve clearly is at the, a big part of this. And um, Maeda said, I don't think he had the signs. I think he's a really good hitter. He downplayed his own thing uh, a ton on that. And it was it was kind of – it was really um, – it said a lot about him. He was like – like he just gave Altuve the respect. And he said, I haven't thought about it a ton. I, I just don't think they had our signs. Uh, the one thing that stood out to him was the way that you Darvish got hit. And and so I don't think he's totally blowing off the possibility that the Astros did this. Clearly, um, with himself, he's not thinking that way. But 
he was shocked at the fact that Darvish lasted one and two-third innings in both starts after striking out 14 in 11 and a third in his previous two postseason starts. Darvish was throwing darts there, and, and all of a sudden we, we see him get just rocked in the World Series, and that was shocking, and it hurt his value going forward. So I think Maeda is at least open to the possibility, but I think he's leaning towards downplaying too because this is a team that wants to worry about now, and I think they realize they could easily, with as many guys as they have, be distracted by this and they don't want that distraction um, there's too many things that pop up during a, a season for this to be something that that gets them but um, let's uh, let's switch topics here real quick we'll talk about health and early on I, I'd say you know with the exception of Aaron risking fate earlier today by saying there's gonna be no news yeah. and then not knocking on wood about that uh, which by the way if any bad news happens yeah. On February 19th, it's all Aaron's fault, everybody. Uh, anyways, um, for the most part, this camp has been healthy early on. Byron Buxton is making good progress. Dustin Moore sent out the video of him taking live swings in the cage the other day. Um, he was really excited about soft toss uh, in his interview with us earlier this week. But he, he's progressing nicely as, as far as camp has gone so far. Uh, it seems like... Sergio Romo missed a day or two with a non-throwing shoulder strain. He said he slept on it wrong, um, but he noticed all of our tweets on that, which was awesome. Uh, uh, Sergio, if you're listening, hey, uh, big fan. Anyways, um, but beyond that, uh, really doesn't seem like – it seems like things have gone well. Yeah, because, like, Polanco had off-season ankle surgery, and I think he's not, like, a 100% cleared to do everything, but I've seen him running in the outfield – uh, he's not limping or anything. He's, he doesn't have a brace on it. Uh, he's been taking some swings, I know, at least in the cage so far. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, obviously, him and, and Buxton are the two biggest concerns. I know Marwin had some injury issues, too. Yeah. Uh, he seems fully healthy. Yeah. Um, Sano, like we talked about, looks to be in as good a shape as he's been since yeah. probably his rookie year. And, and, and we are fully aware that yes. you guys are out there met, mocking us for best shape of yeah. his life. But if you saw Miguel Sano, you would be floored. He is just a straight wall. Yes. Up. There's nothing on the sides. Like, I typically look at the sides and I try to avoid looking at my sides. Yeah. Miguel Sano is just, it's just a cliff, the edge of a cliff right now. And, and he looks like a offensive lineman or a diff I mean his body is so big and he's such a physical specimen as it is. He looks like a, uh, a tight end that plays all three downs. Yeah. Like he blocks and he receives. Like yeah. he's he's just six four, six five, just and yeah, you're right. Like we realize that the whole best shape of his life thing has become a source of like mockery among mm -hmm. baseball writers. Yeah. So trust me, we're not saying this lately. Like there are guys who have lost five pounds. Like Nelson Cruz was like, Hey, I lost twelve pounds this offseason. Right. He looks the same to me. I mean maybe he looks a little thinner. We're not trying to play up every dude who lost six pounds. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I mean Sano and, and we've seen him. He was working on it first base uh, with, with Cruz, actually. Uh, a funny little tidbit is that he told us uh, he's got an old Joe Maurer glove that he's been using for practicing at first base. And like you said, Tony Diaz has been working with him. I mean, it's a big year for him. Not only was he great at the end of last year, not only does he sign an extension yeah. where he's sat now for, for a long time, he, this is now the second year in a row Baldelli praised him. He said he looks like a supreme athlete now. Yeah. Like, this is not just he went and, and did a bunch of workouts for six weeks. This is the second offseason in a row where he's committed to this, and he's moving positions. And yeah. it was like, I feel like that people 
are so curious about like the oh I'll make room for Donaldson thing. Uh, we've seen them interacting. They were dancing together in the clubhouse today, yeah. like you know, big bear hugs. Like like you said, it started with the video where he basically said Donaldson, like you're the only one I'll move for, but I want you here. Yeah, let's do it. And I mean, that's I would say that's like the overall vibe of this whole thing is like the depth that this team has assembled on all phases. Like, I, I know people are maybe a little frustrated by the lack of a big-time starting pitcher right. who was brought in, but For A, sure. I think Maeda is much closer to that than you would maybe conventional wisdom would tell you, or at least the Twins think he will be. But also just from a depth standpoint, like the fifth starter job, which we're going to write about later in the month, but like you have Chassin, yeah. who's as of a year ago – was three and a half ERA, 180 inning guy for three or four years in a row. Yeah. And somebody from, like two or three guys from the Thorpe, Dobnik, Smeltzer, who all look decent uh, for the Twins as rookies, they're going to be at Rochester. Right. And then you look at the bullpen, and they're six or seven guys deep. Like right now, Zach Littell is like their fifth or sixth reliever. He had like a zero-point-something ERA in the second half. Yep. Uh, and, and they also think, you know, Romero could still make an impact. Whistler. So, I mean, you just look around this team, and like you mentioned, there's really only two obvious spots as of right now. Right. you got the fifth starter and maybe a spot in the bullpen, and then probably the sixth man, or the yeah. 26th man, right. which may be Astadio, somebody like that. It could be Jake Cave. They both have options. Right. It may be dependent on if you need a right-handed batter or left-handed batter. It might be dependent on if you need to get a catcher in there for a few days. Yeah. But those two could be interchangeable. But, but yeah, except you look around the team and they have the depth of a team where there's like nine spots being competed for. Yeah. And as we saw, you know, injuries happen and especially on the pit pitching staff, you know, they, they got guys on the Rochester to Minneapolis shuttle all year. That's part of the plan with them. But yeah, I mean, I think this team is, is super well positioned. And if anything, you know, they're projected like Pakoda had them and Zips 93, 94 wins. Right. And they're not top heavy. So, like, if they were – obviously, losing Cruz or Donaldson or something, that's a huge blow. But I just mean their 28th guy and 29th guy and 30th guy is better than almost every other team's guys in that position. And so they can withstand nicks and bruises or, or a bad performance from a reliever here or there or an injury or something like that. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the floor for this team, whether they win 100 games again or whatever, like, the floor for this team is as high as any Twins team I can remember. Right. Right, and, and maybe the ceiling isn't quite as high because they are missing that elite pitcher. But, um, you know, one, that, that possibility, if they show they're that team, and, and the front office is clearly in that mindset, if that pitcher surfaces at the deadline, I don't think they hesitate to make a move. They've shown it now where they've made multiple win-now moves in this offseason. You signed a guy that's going to be 34 or is 34 to a four-year deal knowing that you might get two good years out of him and the, the rest of it is up in the air. Although with the way he takes care of himself, Josh Donaldson could be, you know, there's no, it could go either way. He's obviously had the hamstring stuff a couple times, but at the same time, he's a guy who very much takes care of himself and we'll get more into that in spring training. But they did that. They obviously were willing to trade one of their top pitching prospects and bruised our Gratterall for, for Kenta Maeda to give them another piece. I mean, we're now looking at the possibility that, uh, obviously, Pineda comes back in May. If Rich Hill is healthy, you're looking at something like Hill bouncing Homer Bailey potentially from the rotation. But as as Thad Levine and Derek Falvey have said to me multiple times, hey, uh, we'll be happy to kick someone out of the rotation if that's right. what it gets to because you just never have enough pitching. So, I mean, when you think about it, it it's been a, a good start to camp. And uh, the one thing, getting back to Snow, I wanted to touch on is that I feel like he kind of got robbed last year because of that injury at the 
it sidelined him because when he got to camp last year, um, he was in such great yeah. shape. He could not help but show his teammates what good shape he was in. And he was so excited about it. And he lost a little of that because he was sidelined so long after the debridement on his ankle and like, uh, or the heel, whatever, um, getting back into it and not come back till mid May. But I think that this is really him showing some maturity. And I understand why people are skeptical on Miguel Sano. He has a lot of things in his past that qualify as baggage. And, and until he proves this for six or seven years uh, in a row, then those questions are legit. It's not anything you don't get to a free pass on stuff that happened. I mean, he's had, well, there was a moment in 18 in the off season when he had the thing where the car accident with the police officer, where you're like, is this the end of his career right now? It was a, a hell of a 10 months for him. Yeah. Um, and so I get where the skepticism comes from. It's fair. It's legal. This isn't saying Miguel Sano is, uh, we're not claiming Miguel Sano is, is, um, mature in all ways that we know of because we don't know the other side of things we don't know people's lives however on the baseball side of things it's clear that he's taking care of himself and put himself taking a lot of responsibility and i think that's a good sign for them i think that's a nelson cruz impact i think that's what they want donaldson's impact to be with like other guys um so for the first week it's been a pretty solid flawless camp uh on the field now personally <laughs> we're going to get into this right now um, I, I don't know if you – this might be dating myself. I, it's definitely dating myself. But the uh, the 19 – I think it was 1990 or maybe it was 89 classic film. Uh, me and Aaron have been reenacting Driving Miss Daisy this last uh, week. I've been Morgan Freeman. He's been Jessica Tandy. Uh, and he actually has not sat in the back seat. He sat yeah. in the passenger seat, fortunately for me. <laughs> but he has allowed me to relive my Uber days um, – and, and drive them around because, uh, well, why don't you explain it? Well, yeah, this is my first spring training. They said you're going to go be a beat writer, which, uh, you know, I'm nervous about that. You're going to be in the clubhouse. I've never done that. And I get off the plane, and I'm feeling good. I had a big – the guy who sat next to me on the plane was a big Twins fan. He knew us. He reads The Athletic, all this stuff. So I'm, I'm strolling off the plane, head held high. <laughs> I go up to the national rental car, and I say, they're like, I got reservation for the next two weeks for Gleeman. Okay, sir, we got you in this. Can I see your ID? Sure. Well, this is expired. And I said, no, obviously not. And she showed me, and I said, uh, well, I can, I can still get a car, right? And she just cackled. Like, the woman was like, oh, God, no, we won't let you do that. And so then I thought, I should just get on the plane and go home at this point. But here's the thing. It's very annoying for Dan because Dan was able to get a rental car. And now Fort Myers is very – Florida is like this in general, I guess. But Fort Myers is very uh, stretched out. Mm -hmm. uh, things that are three miles away take 14 minutes to get to. And like we talked about at the beginning, we got to be here uh, 7.45, 8 a.m. to get yeah. clubhouse access. So we're getting up 6-something. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a morning person. Dan's not a morning person. Uh, so now Dan basically says, uh, yeah, we're heading out at uh, 740. Uh, you can either be here or uh, you can hitchhike. <laughs> uh, but, yes, it's been very helpful. My hope is so I'm heading home uh, Thursday for like a week and a half and then coming back here. Yeah. Uh, my only goal for that week and a half is to, well, to stay out of the outdoors in Minnesota because now yeah. I'm just used to this Florida and I just go to the DMV, put a rush on that license because I feel like what was cute 
for a week now. Yeah. Uh, not so cute uh, when I come back because then you're just a screw up. Uh, the first time is, oh, he made a mistake. Isn't that cute? Uh, he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, second time, it's uh, still don't have a car. It's like, well, now you're just being, uh, now you're just the worst. And, and, and I won't be here on that second right, part. Yeah. So we're not overlapping on that second part. So, yes, um, if anybody works at the uh, DMV in Minnesota and would like to help Aaron, send him a DM on Twitter yeah. or just tweet at him and, and yeah. tell him, uh, when to come in and, and we'll get this squared away. But uh, all kidding aside, it's been a pretty fun week. Um, I actually think it's worked out pretty well because our schedules have lined up pretty easily. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, unfortunately, like I won't let Aaron use the car to go like to the grocery store. He's like, he's he's been like since day one. He's been like, I ran out of deodorant. I'm like, tough luck, buddy. Yeah. And you know, so although, I mean, aside from that, although really. Who's that really punishing? <laughs> you got to smell me. I don't. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, know, yeah. You well, didn't think that one through. I didn't. I didn't. And it was another poorly landed <laughs> joke. So uh, I think that's a, a, a good time to wrap up here on this week's uh, episode of Puck It. We'll do it live. Uh, Puddle Nation. We're so glad to be back here. And uh, thank you to the two or three hundred or maybe two or three of you that were uh, asking when we were going to publish again. But we will probably be coming to you once a week um we're figuring out the day that we're going to drop it on but uh looking forward to the season we should have at least one or two more of these from fort myers anyways uh that's it for this week i'm dan hayes from the athletic here with aaron gleeman thanks for listening